Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're speaking about a topic that, well, it transcends some of the discussions that we usually have because we speak on this show about health in all its implications. And for those of you listening from the heart of Indian country, we are concerned about the health of tribal enterprises. We're concerned about the health of other business enterprises that you might be involved with as an individual. This is a show that, again, looks at corporate and business health, and it looks at it in a very interesting way. To help us in this very important dialogue is Mike McPherson. Mike, it's great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thank you. Mike, you have a a leadership role in an organization that no doubt some of my listeners are familiar with, others may not be acquainted with. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'm the director of sales and marketing for a ticketing software company called BBO Tickets. And we're an event ticketing software that uh, venues like performing arts centers and casinos that have performing arts like music or comedy, you know, uses to sell their tickets online so people can show up to their event. One of the things I think is fascinating about your organization is when we speak about Indian country or when we speak to anyone, because we have many listeners that tune in from, you know, across uh, the variety of demographic lines that are represented in North America and even beyond. Really, one of the interesting things to me, Mike, is you also represent uh, educational organizations because some people think, well, tickets, I mean, that's just, you know, entertainment. And, you know, some of my folks say, well, I'm not really into that, but I know I'm thinking of one, you know, really great uh, tribal museum that I was in not all that long ago. And these kind of settings, if they have tickets, there are sometimes also people that are partnering with you, correct? Yes, it's actually a large portion of our business is museum or educational institutions like colleges, universities, even high schools. You know, think a high school has a choir event or, uh, you know, a play, you know, they want to sell tickets to museums. It's really become popular with museums during the pandemic because they need to monitor their traffic, right? It used to be you just go to the museum, walk up to the window, buy a ticket, go into the museum. Well, now they may want, you know, to have social distancing aspects to entering the museum. So they want to pre-sell those tickets and t- sell them by time slots so they can limit, say, maybe 25 at 10 o'clock, 25 at 11 o'clock, so forth and so on. So museums are definitely a very large portion of our business. I mean, this is really exciting because there's so many things that are represented by my listeners that really could interface with what you're doing. And I think a lot of people, unless they're directly involved in this area, they may be sitting on a tribal council. They may be even involved with marketing, but really haven't gotten into the intricacies of of ticket sales. You guys have some special insights that are especially relevant, like you mentioned, With everything being so topsy-turvy in light of COVID-19 and everything that that's done, tell us a little bit about how that has changed your business and how that's actually strengthened you in some respects. Well, probably the first thing that jumps to mind is virtual streaming of events or performing arts or exhibits 
you know, so initially, you know, back in 2020, when the pandemic started, everything shut down. And so there was a scrambling by performing arts centers, museums, uh, live entertainment to be able to continue to get their performances out. So virtual streaming and ticketing to virtual streaming, it's not like virtual streaming was new, but what became new is that you would sell a ticket to virtual streaming. And so we allow a paywall to go around, you know, the streaming event. Then, you know, we took it further where you can chat or you can do donations while the streaming event is going on live on the particular venue's website. And so virtual streaming has become right a regular thing now now it's moved into what they call hybrid where you know they have their live attendant event and they also sell tickets to a virtual streaming event so let's talk a little bit uh, maybe a situation uh, like a museum let's speak to that whether it's something that's owned by a tribal entity or whether one of our listeners is part of a, a nonprofit uh, museum in their community let's say they've been just doing the conventional ticket sales they're not working with any organization outside of their entity. They've done this all internally. What would be in their interest as far as reaching out to VBO? Well, a number of things. First, it's not uncommon for a museum to have never used online ticketing before and then begin using online ticketing and it becomes a new revenue stream, right? Because let's say they're just selling a ticket at a window. You walk up, you sell the ticket is typically not a fee associated, where with an online ticketing situation, typically people are used to paying a fee. Oh, there's a dollar fee, you know, service fee, so handling fee. And so a lot of the museums now may take that and it's an opportunity for there to be an additional revenue stream through the ticketing fee. You don't have to have a ticketing fee. Many build it into the ticket price and, and don't show the public the ticketing fee. Others do show the public the ticketing fee. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the marketing aspect, you're now gathering the information, right? So if you sell a ticket at a window, somebody comes to your museum, they buy a ticket and they go in, you don't necessarily know who they are unless you ask. Often you don't in that environment mm -hmm. where when they're buying the ticket online, you're typically having them put in their email, register their information, you know, especially if they're paying by credit card. And that allows for you to, you know, build your database because with the ticketing system comes the CRM system, you know, that allows you to uh, manage your customer relations, market to your customers, have newsletters to your customers. So there's quite a bit more than that, but that's just the starting point on, on how it can be helpful. So you've got this fascinating background and, and some of my listeners, no doubt, will say, hey, you know, I want to connect with Mike about what he specifically does, but we're going to talk a lot more broadly about being customer-centric in anything we do if we're running a business, a tribal entity, or otherwise. But before we segue to that portion of the presentation, if someone says, hey, I really uh, am intrigued with how Mike may bring some additional value uh, to our project, to our museum, to our educational event, to our tribal venue— how would someone reach out to you? Well, the easiest way is to email me at mikemack at vbotickets.com or to go to vbotickets.com and you can fill out forms there that, that you know, we'll get right back in touch with you. So those are the two easiest ways. So when it's Mike Mack, it's M-I-K-E-M-A-C, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so Mike Mack for Mike McPherson, McPherson yep. at vbotickets.com. Yeah, VBO stands for Virtual Box Office. Okay. 
Well, well, let's let's make this transition then, because some folks are saying, well, you know, that's all interesting, but it doesn't really relate to me. Uh, maybe they're a small business owner. Maybe they have uh, they're involved with uh, native uh, crafts or other things. They do have uh, sales. They they do have customers, but they're not doing it in any way that would relate to ticket sales. You have a lot broader vision for how anyone who's in business can be more successful by focusing on their customers. Tell us a little bit about how that evolved in your thinking, Mike. Well, there's there's only a few things you uh, you can be in as a business. We call it, what is your major, right? So just like when you go to college, you, when you graduate, you graduate with a major. It's it's similar in business, right? You could be a you could be a technology, you could be a service you, company, you could be a price company, you could be a choice company, right? Well. We are a service company. That's our major service. And so that drives everything we do. And being customer-centric, or as Amazon says, they sort of pioneered the term customer-obsessed, the idea is that drives your company, every decision within your company. And if you if you are driven by providing great service, then all those touch points need to be mapped out. Any place the customer comes in contact with your company needs to be mapped out. And then those touch points, you need to make sure that you are keeping the customer in mind, being customer-centric, making that touch point a real positive experience, going out of your way, being different, anything but boring. Right. And so be a difference maker. So for us, it's a difference maker in the customer experience, in the customer's work life, making it easier, making it you know something that really stands out. Now, Mike, I think a lot of folks in business, maybe everybody in business has heard these sayings like, you know, the customer's always right, uh, et cetera. Is that a different mindset than what you're talking about? Well, to a certain extent, they're all the same, it's the same concept right? The customer is always right. Customer-centric, customer-focused, customer-obsessed. The trick is in the implementation of it, you know, walking the walk, right? And so small examples will be, we all get frustrated, you know, with many technology companies now, uh, whether it's our phone bill or our TV service, where we can never get a hold of anybody. We go into voicemail, you know, or automated chat, or go to our website to pay your bill or to ask a question, right? And so just the simplest way that you can uh, have an improved touch point is that you actually answer the phone and talk with people, right? That's walking Mm -hmm. the walk. And is the customer always right? Well, if you're talking to them, they may start with a complaint, and that complaint may turn into an opportunity. It may just be a misunderstanding, it may actually be a complaint, gives you as a company an opportunity to fix the complaint. But each each time when you say the customer is always right, if you're talking to them, you have an opportunity to prove them right. You know, this is a really important topic because I think most people, at least most people that I deal with, they say, oh, I, I hate dealing with complaints. You know, they're happy to to hear people that are being well served by what they're into. Most people have a sense of whatever they're doing, they want to make a difference in a positive way for people. So complaints usually are things that, well, they sometimes get pushed to the side. Why should business owners, why should people that are involved with overseeing a tribal entity or any kind of business, why should they look at these complaints as opportunities rather than um, potholes in the road, if you will? Well, the simplest answer is you get to engage with the customer. Any any opportunity to engage with the customer is a benefit. Think of it this way. 
you want to grow your business and your idea is you're going to call people, cold call people and, and try to grow your business. Often they don't answer, they don't return your calls, right? If they have a complaint and they need something fixed or they need a resolution, they will for sure talk with you, right? And any opportunity to talk with the customer, engage with the customer gives you an opportunity to do something positive for your business, to market your business, And the best way to market your business is to turn a complaint into a success because it stands out, right? It's different. Powerful stuff, Mike. Well, let's, let's look at it from this perspective as well, because, you know, we're talking about engaging with people. You've mentioned, you know, the digital world that we're in. I mean, you're running a virtual box office. Is there an advantage to actually talk with someone over the phone as opposed to addressing their issues through uh, electronic means? Sure. You're connecting. We all like to connect, right? Humans like to you know, connect. They like relationships. They like to be heard. Is it the customer is always right or the customer wants to be heard, right? And so mm. how can you hear the customer if it's through an auto chat on a website or through email or through text, right? When you're talking with them, you can hear them and they want to be heard, no, this is an important message, and I think, like you rightly identified, it seems that that's gotten pushed to the side in many business models. It seems like you're being more efficient if you don't have to have someone answering that telephone. But I hear you saying, Mike, that this efficiency may be coming at a price. No question about it, right? I mean, it's an opportunity. We all deal with it now. Every single person had to call their cable company or you know their phone company or some technology company. We all have a story, right? Where something is wrong. And I could think of one that I went through just a few weeks ago where it took me 45 minutes to get through everything till I actually got to a person to be able to fix you know, the fact that I couldn't watch a show. More importantly, my kids couldn't watch a show, right? And, and man, I'll tell you, by the time that 45 minutes was up, I had all kinds of things I wanted to say to them. <laughs> and so that's the point, right? The point is, is it stands out. It's an opportunity now. You know, yes, big corporate America, all these companies, it is about productivity, right? But in the, in the end, uh, it's an opportunity now for us to stand out. We have to step away, Mike. I know you got a lot of great illustrations that are going to bring a lot of these points home to my listeners. We're looking forward to that. Don't go away. You're listening to Mike McPherson. We've got a lot more on today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. 
furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA service center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Mike McPherson is my guest. He is helping us understand how important it is to focus on our customers if we're in any kind of business enterprise, whether you're working for a tribal entity, whether you have some oversight as a a leader in your community, an elder, tribal council person, whether you're uh, native or non-native, today this topic takes in many, many of us. And Mike, as we were speaking at the break, you reminded me that You know, oftentimes when we first get our feet in the work world, we are confronted with some of the realities of uh, dealing with customers. Tell us a little bit about some of your early experience with this whole area. Yeah. So all the way back 20 plus years ago when I had my very first job, it was in a men's clothing retail store and where I sort of learned the challenge of dealing with customer complaints is the day after Christmas was always the busiest day, not the business sales day, the busiest return day. Right. Mm. And so think of it this way, you get a gift and you want to return it because you didn't care for that particular sweater. Right. So you come into the store and you want your money back And this particular company that I started with didn't give money back, even with the receipt. Right. So you'd come in, you'd want your money back. The answer is no you could only exchange for another product. Well, many of the employees wanted nothing to do with that, right? It's a difficult conversation. I can remember that, you know, it was very difficult. Customers would be pretty upset. You know, they wanted their money back. It was a gift and they want to go buy something else. They don't want a sweater or a pair of jeans or whatever the case may be. And so for me, I eventually started to learn 
right then and there early in my career, how uh, upset customer turned into an opportunity. Mm. Uh, Sure. There was the rare occasion where there was nothing that could be done. They would be livid and leave, but nine out of 10 times, I was able to turn that into a positive experience, you know, for the customer to be able to be patient. You know, first thing is you got to let them get it out. Right. And then from there, Uh you know, you can, you start to, you know, work, to turn the situation around and into an opportunity. So tell us maybe a a scenario doesn't have to be an exact uh, accounting of of something that happened, but give us an example of how someone came in upset about something and how they left happy that you had helped them. Can you think of of an example? Sure. They might be returning an ugly sweater and initially their thought is they can only exchange it for sweater. Their thought is they wanted cash and they want to go out and get something else, right? And so it may be an ugly sweater and initially they're going to roar. You let them roar. You don't say no, right? You let them roar. And then from there, the idea was, okay, do you realize you could get a wallet? You could get a belt. You could get a pair of jeans. You could get a pair of socks. uh, You know, you have no other needs whatsoever. And often you would find, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, (laughs) I do need, you know, a belt or I do need a new wallet. Yeah, and that might be the exact scenario there. You know, they pull the receipt out of their wallet, slap it down, starting their demands that they want the cash back. And you see the wallet is pretty weathered. And you're like, well, you know, you could exchange <laughs> it for a new wallet. Oh, really? And the light bulb goes off. And so that's the idea. Oftentimes in any business, when the customer is complaining, there's an opportunity to get to the root cause of the complaint. It may be different than what their initial complaint is. Yeah, that's great. And I'm just thinking of the scenario. I mean, as people walk into a a store post-holidays, I mean, there's presumably sales and stuff going on as well. Was it a selling opportunity for you sometimes as well? Sure. Because now let's say the sweater was $50 and before the holidays, $50 didn't get you as much as the day after. Right. The day after now, instead of one item, you might be able to get six items, right? Because they're 50%, 70%. Because one of the most important things in retail, especially a men's clothing store was you got it. If you don't sell it soon, if you don't turn it, the trends change. Right. And so you don't, you Mm -hmm. don't want to hold something, you know, for too long in the fashion industry, right? You've got to turn it. And so When the holidays are over, many of those retail stores, they're slashing prices because they got to move the stuff out, right? Especially clothing, because prior to the holidays, it's sweaters. After the holidays, it starts to turn to polo shirts and shorts, right? You got to get rid of those sweaters. Okay, very good. I I really appreciate this. So you had this from a very... Very early on in your working career, you started to see the potential opportunity for dealing with customers who were uh, less than pleased when they walked through the doors, but you could turn them into a satisfied customer. So I, I love this perspective, Mike. So let's take this a step further. You mentioned earlier in the show that one of the things a lot of people don't think about in their hiring practices is that you're going to be hiring people that ultimately will be dealing with some of these challenges. Why is it so important that it's not just someone who does all the routine things well, maybe even seems to be really on top of the game? Why is it so important that they have this kind of customer-centric philosophy and are willing to deal with these difficult kind of situations? Yeah. So, yeah, 
Once you determine your core is service, right? Like, okay, and everything we do, we want to provide provide exceptional service. Well, now that's going to drive the culture of your company. It's going to be, you know, a part of every decision you make. And that includes your hiring practices, right? And so that leads to you hiring people that fit your culture. In this particular case, that the customer comes first, the cu- your customer-focused company, a customer-obsessed company, a customer-centric company, right? We Now we need customer-centric people that are going to deal with the customer and be passionate about dealing with the customer, passionate about solving issues and problems, patient, kind understanding, can develop connections, right? You can see how it drives my decision now on who I'm going to hire, right? Because they have to have these abilities we've been talking about. Now, Mike, you're currently leading a division of VBO tickets. For those who are just joining us, tell us a little bit more about your role there. Well, my primary role, my whole career has been sales and sales management, or what I prefer to refer to as sales leadership, managers, manage tasks, leaders, lead people, right? And sales has primarily always been my main focus, but marketing is part of sales, especially if you're going to have a company that breaks down silos and brings different departments together with the idea that you're focused on the customer. So therefore, you've got to focus your marketing on the customer. You've got to focus your sales on the customer. So sales and marketing go hand in hand. And so I'm driving the messaging and I'm driving the salespeople to deliver the messaging, which then in turn leads to growing your sales. So in your position, are you currently responsible for hiring people? I am, yes. So tell us a little bit uh, for someone who may be in that role. They're looking for the right employee. It seems like there's a lot of people who are in transition right now just because of what's happened with the job market. And although a lot of people may be in transition, it seems like there's a lot more positions and there are people to fill them. So for someone who's in the business of hiring, what kind of uh, questions do you ask in an interview? How do you get your uh, vision out there to attract the right kind of people to your firm? Some of it is what we're doing right now. I mean, why would somebody, you know, in my position want to have this conversation with you, for example, because this allows people to see the point of view, right? So this conversation could be on our website. This conversation could be on my LinkedIn profile. And as people talk with us or we're, you know, maybe, you know, recruiting somebody, what do they typically do? They start searching for information on the company, but here's the thing you don't want to miss. You don't want them just searching for information on the company. You want them searching for information on, in this case, me, right? Because Mm. a very important decision when you're looking for a job isn't just the company you work for, it's the person you work for. Right. You don't want to work for, you know, somebody you're, you're not compatible with. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's like any other relationship. You want it to be positive. So you want to work for positive people. So for me, just what we're doing right now is one of those ways. Right. The other is to find people as opposed to wait for people. Right. And so, you know, I'm always aware of everybody I'm having a conversation with restaurant, retail store, a wedding, anywhere I'm at, you know, if I meet people that, you know, I connect with that have the right spirit, the right attitude, I give them my business card. Are you looking for work? 
No, it's great. I met a fellow a little while ago. He was telling me he worked in a retail establishment, and there was a customer that had come in several times. And after a while, this guy said, you know, how much are you making here? And he said, you know, I can give you a lot more than that if you come work for me, because he'd been able to observe this fellow in real life. So this is uh, one of these recruiting strategies that I think might be overlooked by some folks, huh? That's 100% for sure, right? I mean, it's a big deal, actually. Uh, I say to all my employees, do you you know anybody? And they always say no, right? And I'm like, (laughs) I need you to think deeper than that, right? Of course, right now you don't know anybody, but you might wake up in the middle of the night with an aha moment and go rich, Oh, I, Rich needs a job, right? Or it could be, you know, your your sister's boyfriend or your cousin's husband, right? Uh, it really doesn't matter. You got to think about it and then find some people. You got to get them. This is uh, exciting stuff. For those of you tuning in today, I'm talking with Mike McPherson. He's got a lot more great insights that can help you, well, wherever you're at, as far as uh, business questions. We're going to be coming back with more from Mike after these very important messages. I'm Dr. DeRose. Don't go away. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at aianl.org. Or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, Ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. 
Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking about things that are really integrally tied to our health, You may not think that the workplace has all that much to do with your physical and mental and emotional well-being. Well, that may be only because you're working in a great place. I'll tell you, I see so many people who are stressed and dealing with all kinds of issues. Many of them come from that place where they spend so many of their waking hours, and that's their place of employment. Mike, this really is a topic that relates to health in many respects. And as we've been speaking about hiring practices, I mean, it logically brings us to the whole topic of employee retention. Give us some insights into that very important uh, aspect of business. So if we go back to the beginning where we talked about the core competency, our major is service, right? And then that leads our decisions on the type of person we want to hire. Well, then it also leads our decision on how we treat the people once we hire them, right? The highest cost a company has is losing employees, right? And then having to start all over. And so it's in a company's best interest to retain their employees. Well, how do you retain your employees? It helps to pick the right ones in the beginning. That always doesn't happen, but that's a starting point. But the most important thing is to treat them with respect, to create a great culture and a great work environment for them, right? And so employee engagement and how you train your employees, coach your employees, engage your employees is a big part of retaining them. I think one of the big challenges, especially when you talk about something like sales, I mean, it's often commission-driven, I mean, Most people think of sales as being a higher-pressured area for the employee. How does a uh, person in a supervisory capacity keep the standards high as far as actually whether it's selling product or developing their clientele and still having that warm relationship with the employees? Isn't there a tension there? No, there could be, but there isn't. And the reason why there isn't is you're in it with them right? You're a team. I'm a big believer in creating teams around sales as opposed to a sales rep being an individual and being on an island all by themselves. And I've worked for companies many times where I work from home. Maybe it's a company in Baltimore, Maryland, and I'm in San Jose, California, and I got to work out of my home office. And that company never engaged me. That company just wants me to deliver the goods. And it can be very lonely, It could be high pressure. It could be very stressful because you are literally on an island. And so everything is dependent on you figuring out how to do it. The planning, the relationships, the sales, the product knowledge, all of these things can be overwhelming to a sales rep. And, oh, by the way, many companies, that is how it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, we're back to opportunity, right? We're back to, okay, here's an opportunity to be a difference maker, right? And that is to make it different to be a partner with your sales force, to engage them, to coach them on a regular basis. Yeah, there's an old saying that training can grow your business maybe by 10%, but coaching may be able to grow it over 50%. You don't see in sports that, you know, they just have training camp and now the coaches go away. No, they have practice and they're regularly practicing and coaching up the players. And it's the same thing in sales. If you are engaged with the sales rep, if you're coaching, if you're a partner with your sales rep, 
you're going to eliminate some of those stresses and pressures that you're referring to. So a lot of folks, when you mention the difference between training and coaching, they're nodding their heads, they're right with you. Others are saying, uh, I think I need some clarity. What's the difference, training, coaching? So a big mistake that companies make is they hire somebody and then they put them in a training class, maybe an orientation, a seminar, right? Mm-hmm. In which, okay, they've got a policy and procedure book, they've got a training manual, and they sit them for the first week on the job or the first two weeks or heck, even the first three months, whatever the case may be. And it's like a class setting where, okay, well, here's the product, here's the company culture, here's everything that we do. Maybe it's a PowerPoint presentation. And then when that training is done, they release them and that's it, right? Uh, just bring home the bacon. And where coaching is that you may do that in the beginning, you may have training camp. Right. Mm. Or, you know, boot camp, but you never, ever go away. You're regularly engaged on a daily basis with your team, talking about goals, setting goals, defining responsibilities, uh, talking about where we're at on the goals. If you if you set a goal and you don't stay in touch with the person working towards the goal, you don't know if they're going to miss it or make it right. And if you're a daily engaged with your employees, you know if they're going to make their goal or they're not going to make their goal. And if they're not, you can make adjustments. You can help them. I love this picture of engagement during the process, not just at the quarterly report or at the uh, annual metrics that are compared. And this even comes home to me as a physician. I remember years ago when I was in my training, I once had a uh, attending, you know, a physician that was supervising me, and they never said anything to me on a certain subject the whole time I worked with them. But when they gave me my evaluation at the end of the rotation, they said that I dressed unprofessionally because I wore tennis shoes. And I was thinking like, what? You know, why didn't they just tell me (laughs) that they didn't want me to wear tennis shoes? Why did they wait till the end of my time with them? And I think this is not just something that uh, happens in healthcare, but it happens everywhere, doesn't it, Mike? It does. And think about that example, okay? How simple would it have been, you know, after the first day, you know, to sit down for a cup of coffee, review the day and say, hey, you know, some might frown on the tennis shoes. Let's let's switch it up, right? As opposed to don't ever wear those tennis shoes again, right? So even even the fact that we identified it on the first day, you have to handle it a certain way, right? And that's the thing about employee engagement, Mm -hmm. right? You're not talking at the employee, you're talking with the employee. No, this is great. This is great. So let's just take two steps back. And we started this whole dialogue with your role with the virtual box office and ticket sales. And just as I was learning about you before I even booked you for the show, I was looking and I was saying, you know, there's something here that I think a lot of us miss. I mean, I do educational programs on the internet. Uh, I know many tribes have virtual events. They have live events. This is something that, you know, is really in rapid evolution right now. Who should be thinking about a different kind of or a broader business model that 
looks into using some innovative ticketing solutions? Because I'm asking that for myself as well as for many of my listeners. Sure. Well, any gathering of event, right? So, I mean, it's vast. One of the things we love about being in the ticketing business is there is no limit. A tasting room in a winery, a casino with a stand-up comedian, a barbecue cook-off, you know, competition, movie theaters, churches with events, big events, whether it's music events or movie under the star events. Why? Why? Well, because you can engage the customer, right? Or what we refer to in our business as the patron, right? You can you can create loyalty. You can create newsletters. You can create events, more events, right? Um, and so really any any event, not necessarily a wedding, I wouldn't go that far, but most events where people gather, there is an opportunity, right? And so that would be my point of view on that. Now, here's one of the questions that comes to my mind, because I know a lot of our listeners have connections with nonprofit organizations, and some of them, like you mentioned, might be involved in the faith community arena. They may be looking at doing some kind of an event at a church or other place of worship, and they might say, well, we're not charging anything for this. I mean, it's free to our community. But um, I'm asking the question in my own mind, might there be value in having a ticketed event, even if it's free, because you mentioned this ability to connect with those who will be coming, your ability to follow up with them. Are some people doing this, even if they're not putting a charge on the event, they're paying you basically to uh, issue tickets? The answer is yes. Happens all the time. It's probably the most prominent way it happens is a high school graduation, right? Or a college graduation mm. where they, they are mm-hmm. issuing tickets, but they don't charge for the tickets, right? That's the most prevalent example that comes to mind. We don't necessarily charge either in that situation, right? So, so it's not necessarily for people who only do free events. Mm-hmm. For us at VBO Tickets, it's for people that, that do a combination. Most of our customers do have free events, but they also have paid events, right? Mm-hmm. If it was only free events, there'd be no way for us to create a revenue stream, right? Uh-huh. However, there are services out there, automated services that you could use if all of your events are free. So yes, because now you can, you know, in marketing, you know, creating the email list, creating the contact list is key, right? It's gold. That list becomes your group. So for sure. So let me see if I can understand this, you know, how it comes down practically. Mike, one of the things that uh, we've been talking about is maintaining loyalty from employees, from customers, building loyalty. But there's this whole other aspect of innovation and how do customers have a role in new product development, new services. Tell us a little bit about that and how important that part of the equation is. Yeah, so we call it customer designed. And most of our software is customer designed. It came from a customer saying, we need to do this. I'll give you a great example that applies maybe even to you. We have a customer uh, through a university out here in California in which a doctor at the university, a medical doctor called us, And it was to create a program uh, for senior citizens 
or maybe you know Alzheimer's, uh, early dementia patients for health yoga activity. Hmm. Think of a community center. Might even be you know chess. Hmm. Might you know might be bingo. Whatever the case, it's in essence it's a customer that's health wellness, right? And in this particular case, all their tickets are free, right? Hmm. And they did this during the pandemic to be able to engage these patients, these you know, in their case, community center senior citizens to keep them engaged. They were worried about the health wellness of these patients. So they created, you know, a program and then they have tickets, right? And, but in their particular case, the tickets are free, but this is how they get people to sign up. And then they went to other universities and had them join it. So it started at, at one particular college. And then this doctor created this program through other particular colleges. And we came to an agreement with them where we we did a monthly payment as opposed to a per ticket payment, right? And they got a grant and they were mm. able to afford it through that. So there was no charge to the mm-hmm. particular patient or the user. And then for us, we reduced our price in this particular case and came up with a monthly payment program in which their grant covered the cost. All of that, we had never done that before. All of that was designed by the customer. That's great. It is so great to hear about the innovative strategies that you're doing in your organization. And Mike, before we step away for another break, if someone does want to reach out to you personally, how do they do that? Mike Mack at VBOTickets.com. That's M-I-K-E-M-A-C at VBOTickets.com. VBO stands for Virtual Box Office or at VBOTickets.com. We've got more coming up with Mike McPherson in our final segment of today's show. Don't go away. We've got more coming up right after these important messages. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. 
A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with Mike McPherson for our final segment of today's edition of the broadcast. We've been speaking about things that relate to occupational health in its broadest sense, not just the health of the worker, but the health of the whole business, as well as those that you're seeking to serve as your customers, as your clients. Mike, we've been talking about some of these far-ranging benefits that come from when we're more customer-centric in our business. And you there at, at VBO, at Virtual Box Office, you had some evolution yourselves in this area. Can you share with us a little bit about that? Sure. So, you know, again, you know, we start with service, right, and the customer, and then you've got to analyze every touch point that the customer comes in contact with. So one of the examples, you know, once we did that, once we started analyzing our touch points, we realized, you know, some areas that we needed to improve the customer experience. One of those areas was originally what would happen is we would talk to a potential customer and sales would talk to them. And then once they signed on, sales would turn them over to technical service for the training, right? And then, you know, sales would move on. And that's common in the software sales business, regardless of industry, where the sales force is churning and burning, right? They're going out, they're finding new customers, they sign them up, and then they're done. They move on to finding more new customers. They move on to finding more new customers. The challenge with that is once they go into technical service for what we call onboarding or training, it's a brand new relationship. It's starting all over again. And we started to notice that our success rate was dipping because of that transition over to technical service. So yes, mm. the technical service department understood the software frontwards and backwards, but they didn't understand the customer necessarily frontwards and backwards. So a, a small change that we made is we increased our training, our education, and our coaching of our sales force to where they could also then do the onboarding and the training of the customer once they signed on. So the sales rep actually never went away from the customer. They initially started the relationship. They developed the connection. They got them to come on board. And instead of going away, we keep the customer with the sales rep all the way through the process. And we never let go of the customer at that point. And that's what helped us improve you know, our relationships with our customers. That's tremendous. And I'm thinking, you know, in your industry, probably there's a lot of give and take where the customer might be talking with you about events that they have coming up. And maybe your salespeople are saying, you know, we could do something innovative here. I've already heard on this show where you've kind of stepped out and branched into territory that you've never uh, experienced before. That's correct. I mean, I'll give you another great example. Uh, because of the pandemic, the customers started coming to us and uh, asking about social distancing features, right? So think of a theater that's a thousand seat theater and you go online to buy a ticket on a map uh, and that theater uh, has to create social distance bubble, 
right? So the customer wanted an ability that when the customer picked two seats in the map, that the seats to the left and the right would be blocked out for social distancing features. So we had to build an algorithm into the software to do that automatically. And that ended up being a very important feature. But it brought, again, it was brought to us through our sales force, through communicating with our customer. And it was a customer designed aspect, a social distancing feature in the seat map function. Let's talk now to someone who's been, you know, they're very engaged with what you've been talking about. And maybe they're even engaged uh, with your company and they say, well, here, this guy is hiring people in an area that sounds innovative. He sounds like a nice guy to work for. I know you may not want this going out, you know, to uh, all the media outlets that we touch. But, hey, if you can find some good people as a result of a radio show, you know, great. Do you really uh, welcome people reaching out to you if they have an interest in the kind of work that you're doing? Absolutely. Not only do I welcome them reaching out to me because we are always looking for great people, right? Positive people, hardworking people, ethical people in marketing, in sales, in support, in tech service. Uh, We have a big need for programmers, coders, developers, unquestionably all for it, but even above and beyond, even, even if they just need help someplace else, I am always available to anybody to contact me about anything I can do. Review a resume, offer offer an ear, offer a piece of advice. Happy to do it. That's tremendous. How big a workforce do you actually have, Mike? How many people report to you? Is that something uh, you, you're comfortable answering on air? Sure. 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a small team. Yep. You're close to the people that you're working with. Yeah. And I know a lot of people today are talking about you know, turnover, when there's really, it seems like so many opportunities for people, sometimes it's hard to retain the good people that you've uh, developed, that you've trained. Uh, You know, they're being lured away, like the scenario that I shared, the fellow that was doing a great job in that retail store and someone else just kind of swooped in. Is that a real issue that most employers are dealing with? Well, there's no question that it's an issue that most employers are are dealing with. And in the technology business in Silicon Valley, it's it's even more prevalent, right? It's a lot lot of competition. Uh, However, you know, over the history of my career, there's not a lot of turnover. uh, Because, again, if you create a great environment and you're regularly communicating with your employees, you have a good opportunity to retain them, assuming the compensation is, you know, where it needs to be, right? But beyond compensation, mm-hmm. what really motivates an employee? And so my advice is find out what motivates an employee besides compensation. Let's assume we're going to be fair in our compensation and pay the going rate. What else motivates an employee? Is it remote work? Is it flexibility? Is it being able to pick up their kids from school at three o'clock? You know, what is it that motivates them? Sometimes it's appreciation or, or them having a voice in new technology and changes or the direction of the company. So find the motivation beyond compensation and it improves your chances at keeping your employees happy and retained. Now, I think this is such a great insight, but the logical question to me is how do you know? I mean, how do you know that someone wants a voice in product development or how do you know that someone really thrives on getting some you know, positive feedback? Is there some way you can screen for that from the beginning or is it just getting to know the person personally? Well, ask. That's a simple answer. Ask them. And, and it starts in the very beginning, in the interviewing process. In my role, I, from the very beginning, start asking questions 
right? There's the old saying, you know, listen, right? Well, what I say is ask so that you can listen to the right answers, right? And so ask, you know, I would imagine in all relationships, whether it's friends, uh, spouses that, uh, you know, we have a pretty good feeling on what motivates them. And how did we get that feeling? Communication. And so probably I would stop on that word. Communication is key. So, Mike, as we're uh, winding up this show, I think from my vantage point, there's a number of people who may want to reach out to you. But let me kind of turn that into a question. And we've talked about a lot of topics today, especially relating to my Native listeners, individuals that may have a a role in in a tribal enterprise. They may be uh, in their own business. Who would want to reach out to you and where could you bring some value to my listeners beyond all the great content that you've shared in this interview? I would tell you beyond VBO tickets, just me personally, the person that wants to reach out is the person who doesn't know how to do it. Mm. Right. And I specifically mean I run into so many you know, people out there that don't know how to build their career. Right. They, you know, they don't know where to start. They don't know how to do it. Right. And uh, my advice to anybody is find a mentor, you know, ask, find somebody, you know, who's been through it before. And, you know, you'll find people such as me, we want to help others, right? We want to pay it forward. So anybody who is looking for a career, how do I do my resume? How do I dress for an interview? You know, how do I prepare for an interview? Then how do, once I get the career, you know, started or the job started, how do I work up my way up the ladder? What, what are the, the things that need to be done? They're, they're, they're relatively known to people such as myself, and we can share that knowledge. Well, that is tremendous. I appreciate you making yourself available in that way. I know there's many people looking to enter new careers, a lot of young listeners and families of young uh, individuals in Indian country who tune into the show. Mike, again, how does someone make that connection with you personally? You can reach me at my email, Mike Mack at VBO Tickets. That's M-I-K-E-M-A-C at VBOTickets.com. VBO stands for Virtual Box Office. And then also through our website, vbo.com. So if someone does go to vbo.com, or is it vbotickets.com or vbo.com? Yeah, vbotickets.com. I apologize. Yes, vbotickets.com. Okay, so if someone goes to vbotickets.com, are there other things there that they would find of value? Yeah, there's all kinds of information about ticketing, about uh, events, and then there's you know blog posts in there. In those blog posts, there's all kinds of information. Recent ones we've done is how to you know, open up a attended event during a pandemic, safety features, things of that nature. Tons of information. Great. So if I can remember VBOTickets.com, that will get me to your corporate website, right? That's correct. And if I can remember, you're Mike McPherson, but your email is just Mike, M-I-K-E-M-A-C. Then stick that in front of the at VBOTickets.com and I can connect directly to you. That's right. Mike Mack at VBOTickets.com. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, that's all for today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.